thank you for praying for us this last week. And um, so um, we'll deal with the elephant in the room in just a few moments. But let me first say this. Um, I may draw attention to myself a couple of times here. And so those of you who know me know that the only time I do that is when I'm trying to um, pull your leg or convince you I'm better or perfect or those kinds of things. So I normally in 10 and a half years do not really draw attention to myself. And I'm going to do that for a reason today, but I want to make sure that you understand I do this not only for God's glory, but to help you understand what goes on in the heart of a pastor for 10 and a half years, because some of you have never walked that path. You don't understand the position that some of us are in in regard to pastoring today. And so I want to do that. And so I want to, I want to just pray for just a second. I'm going to ask God to give me the words that I need to say, and then we're going to dive into our text this morning. God, thank you for the joy and the privilege that we have today to honor you by our presence here and by what we have offered to you in respect to our praise. I pray that every word, every thought, every emotion that we have had have been reflective of our heart's desire to do exactly that, to honor and to glorify you. And I pray that as I stand here this morning, that you would give me the words to say clearly so that uh, we all might understand exactly what it is that you're doing, not only in my life, but in our life as a church family. I want to thank you for the time that we have been here together. And we know that uh, there are many, many opportunities, many challenges, many struggles, but we're here today because of your divine activity. And we want to honor and, and praise you for that activity today because God, without you, none of this would have been possible. We would not be sustained today or be in the position that we're in. You are at work, you've been at work, and you will continue to work as you will for your purpose and for your glory and for that. We are very grateful for the opportunity that you give us to simply join you in that activity. So lead us and guide us and speak to us today, we ask in Jesus' name. As we start off, let me ask you a question. What dream or what desire has God placed in your heart or in your life that you have yet to have fulfilled or yet has been accomplished? You have a dream or a desire, something that God has given you deep within your heart, a dream or a desire that has yet been unaccomplished or unfulfilled. Um, I know I have a couple. One of them is to see this auditorium filled with people. Uh, that dream and that desire has been here ever since I came, and that desire and that dream has not gone away. But there has been a dream and a desire that God has given me, and that is to be where I am today, to be the pastor of, of uh, several churches in the last almost 40 years, beginning February 1. It was February 1, right after we got married, Pat and I did on December 10th, that I accepted the call to be the student pastor at uh, Valley View Baptist Church in Farmers Branch, Texas. Anybody know where that is? Bless your heart. But anyway, and so that thus began 40 years ago. On February 1st, um, my first encounter in ministry. Now, I have, I've grown up as a missionary kid, and I knew a little bit about, about what it meant to be a missionary kid and be on the mission field. Uh, when I was young, my dad was a pastor, but I was too young to really be, you know, to give much attention to it, to really know what was going on. And, and then God at 13 called me to, uh, to do what I do today, to be a pastor. I wasn't quite sure at the time when I surrendered to the call or accepted the call to do what God has called me to do, where that path would lead me. And there have been many places, and we have have been able to serve with many different people across the state from Virginia to South Carolina to New Mexico to Texas and now in Kansas. And I jokingly say that uh, my theme song is I've Been Everywhere Man. Anybody know who wrote that song? Bless your heart. He usually wears black. Who is he? 
Johnny Cash. And so uh, God has sort of been that way with us. We are not Peters. We are mostly uh, Pauls in our ministry, and we go all over the place. And uh, my, my tenure in pastoring has been, I think, about six and a half to seven years maximum. So I have virtually outlived that tenure so far here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. God has given me a dream and he has given me a desire that has yet been unfulfilled. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But before we do, I, I, I told you last week as I stood at the end of the service that and there was something that I was advised not to do, and that is to share with our church what is going on in, in mine and Patty's life. And we were going to Colorado, and we did. On Tuesday, we flew there, and we came back yesterday afternoon. And uh, we went there to seek God's direction and his affirmation of what he was doing in our lives and with our future ministry from uh, the Colorado Baptist General Convention of Colorado, obviously. And uh, I got a call from a man named Nathan Lorick on November the 27th. Uh, around uh, 1 o'clock or so after lunch, 1.30, I had I'd never met Nathan. I knew of him. He was the evangelist director of the state of Oklahoma. And in that 30-minute conversation, as he was rushing from one plane to another in an airport, he invited me to consider praying about something, and that is to be the director of pastoral care and church health for the state of Colorado. And um, it sort of floored me because uh, it was very unexpected. I didn't know there was such physician, had never spoken to Nathan, didn't understand really in that 30-minute conversation all that he had said because of the noise in the airport and all that. And as we hung up, I thought about what he had said and began to search and to pray as he asked me to do so. On December 10th, uh, I finally, after a very long uh, period of endless sleepless nights decided that we would go ahead and purchase a ticket and uh, fly there on December the 2nd is that right babe December 2nd I think when we flew that was Tuesday and then uh, is that the 2nd I mean January 2nd I'm sorry and, uh, and so we did but even though I purchased the ticket there was still a lot of struggling going on in my spirit and uh, so Christmas came along, and then January 4th, we did uh, go before the executive committee of the Colorado Baptist General Convention of Texas. Uh, their executive board voted to extend to us a call, and based upon that affirmation of God, I have decided that that's where we're going. And so I'll read my resignation in just a little bit at the end of our service. But what I want to say is this, that for the last 40 years, God has placed on my heart a desire to serve in Colorado. I can't exact tell you exactly when that was. I know when I was a small child, we visited Colorado a couple of times, and, and I was always impressed by the beauty of the mountains and all of that. Didn't fully understand what, what all of that meant. There was a desire to at one day live there. And then when I became a student pastor 40 years ago in February, 40 years ago, as I said, in February, I took, I think, our student ministry there on a ski trip, which every Texan does. They go to ski in Colorado. And while we were skiing there, I always had a desire to go. And then I served with uh, Vic Johnson, who was pastor in Levita, a church in Colorado. And there on that mission trip, again, God sort of gave me a desire and a dream to one day serve in Colorado. But it never materialized. And so for 40 years, that's been sort of in the backdrop of my spirit and my heart and my mind. And uh, I sort of always had that there. But, you know, at 62, you think it's never going to happen. And so you just kind of brush it aside. I remember coming through with Mike and a couple of guys as we were traveling that long distance to, uh, to Wyoming on that, that very, 
never mind, that long trip. We came through Colorado and we thought, why are we traveling to Wyoming? Remember, we talked about this and we could actually do some work here in Colorado. And I thought, well, maybe that is God, you know, saying this is what we need to do. And that's how God's going to fulfill that desire and that dream is to, is to serve through Emmanuel to help plant churches in Colorado, which we are, by the way. We're helping a church in Durango and then one in South Denver in 2018. And so we began that process with a guy that I, I met in, in June called, uh, his name is Dave, uh, who is the catalyst for Denver, began that inner dialogue with him in June, way back before any of this had happened and before any of this even began. And so it's been sort of a lifelong dream and desire for us to do that. And as I take a, a, a look back in the rearview mirror of my life, and as we study this passage together today, I have learned that God has been actively working in the past in the present and in the future in bringing me to this point and this place in his life through me uh, to sort of help me become the person that I need to be to be able to then interject and engage and minister and support pastors and churches uh, in Colorado. God has always been active. He's taken every experience. He's taken every every challenge, every encounter, every move, every place that we have served from small to large churches in order to be able to be ready, I think, for a position at this stage in our ministry and in my life to sort of reinvent me at 62 uh, to, to do this. I have not known anything other than local church ministry for 40 years beginning in February. Uh, that's a long time. And there's not anything I haven't seen in ministry in almost these 40 years. I granted that Emmanuel has shown me some things that I had never seen before. That is a fact. But in these last 10 and a half years, uh, it seems as if God is moving uh, in that direction. And so that desire and that dream has always been there. And so I ask you this morning as we begin our study, has God given you a desire and a dream for something that hasn't yet materialized, something that has not been fulfilled, something that has not yet been accomplished? Don't give up on that desire, that dream. I'm convinced that if it's a God-given desire and dream, eventually in his timing, if you allow him to work in his way, he will bring it to fruition. He will make it happen. Uh, even though I did absolutely nothing to manipulate or politic or try to control my life, uh, this happened to us. I was sitting in my, at my desk that afternoon preparing to be here 10 more years. We've been working on a 10-year plan. And all of a sudden, this call comes out of the blue from this guy named Nathan Lorick that I didn't. And I try to keep it quiet in my office because it's the, the, the hall's talking there. And, and so, um, you know, I hung it up and I said, God, what are you doing? I mean... I had resolved to the fact that this would be um, our last church to serve in. This would be my last pastor. And I've told many that before. Maybe I've said this in the pulpit that I don't have a desire to serve anywhere else. That's why this has been so hard for us. I don't know if it's being 62 and being more... Uh, emotional. I don't know if it's, this is because this is the longest place I've ever served in. Uh, I love you people. Warts and all. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking about you. Yeah. I love every one of you. Uh, and, and I am so thankful for 10 and a half years of what we have gone through. I mean, when you think about when I came 10 and a half years ago, this auditorium was pretty much packed. I mean, there was 900 and something, 970 people. Am I right, Roseanne? 970 something people voted to call me as, as your pastor. I think there were three or four no votes and those people are probably still here. Right, Andy? Ryan? Anyway, and so uh, 
I had one person came up and said they voted against me simply because they didn't want it to be a majority. And I said, that's fine. We're Baptists, so that's, that's okay. But uh, uh, 970 people extended us a call. And then, to be quite honest with you, it was hard. And it was pretty much for me downhill after that. Uh, this was not an easy church to pastor. It's not been. It's been the hardest ones that I've pastored in my life. And you who are here today have been here through all of what we have been through, the ups and the downs. And I'm under no illusion at all. I know you love this church, some of you, more than you love me, and that's okay because I love this church more than I love myself. And I think sometimes that's what some of you never got. I don't love myself more than I love this church. And decisions that I have made, and Roseanne and I have talked many times, they have not been for my advantage or for my good. I have made them, hopefully, in the spirit for what I believe is God's direction and his ultimate purpose in our church. And they've not been easy because I've taken some hits sometimes on some of the things that we've decided to do. And some of you, most of us, have stayed here, and we have prayed, and we have given, and we have served, and we have worked. And that's why I believe I would like for you to understand that whoever your next pastor is, that you will understand the pastor's heart in regard to this whole concept of what it means to be a pastor today. And so with that being said, I, wanna, I want us to go to this text, and I want us to understand that, that we need to live by faith. So has God given you a dream or a desire that is yet unfulfilled or accomplished. In the meantime, while you wait on God to accomplish that, I want to give you basically five very quick things that I think we need to do in order to live by faith until God accomplishes that dream and desire. And I think once that dream and desire becomes fully known and, and begins to materialize, this is a concept or a way or a walk that we must continue to live in, in the process of God unfolding that. So we're going to take a look at how do I live by faith in 2018 and beyond. So let's start with uh, the acrostic faith, and we're going to start with the first letter F, which simply means that I must focus on God's activity. I must focus on God's activity. It's not by accident that we read of a guy who for 38 years was next to the pool of Bethesda. And for 38 years, he had camped out there waiting for the, for the pool. They believed that if the, if the pool's waters were stirred, that was the, the, the finger of an angel that was stirring the waters. And the first one that was able to dive into the water would then be healed by God. And he was awaiting for that day for 38 years. I don't know about you, but 38 years is a long time to have a desire and a dream that wishes and hopes that one day will be fulfilled. Jesus, on this particular day, happens to be walking right before the Passover on his way into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. He walks by this pool of Bethesda, sees this man, notices his need, and speaks to him. It's strange that Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? I mean, we would say, what in the world is Jesus thinking? Of course he wants to be healed. He's been there 38 years, and he's been by, beside this pool, and he's been waiting for the, 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 the angel's finger to stir so he can get there, and other people have beat, beaten him there. And yes, he wants to be healed, but the reality is that some of us don't want to rise above our dysfunction. We like to be unhealthy. We like to be dysfunctional. And there are many who don't want to be let out of that dysfunction. And they, the reason for that is many, many reasons. They're comfortable there. That's all they know. Moving beyond that brings change and other things. But, but he asked this man, do you want to be healed? And he said, yes, I do. And so he says, rise, pick up your mat and walk. And Jesus says it with so much authority that he does exactly what Jesus tells him to do, even though it's the Sabbath. And I can't imagine what he thought about in his mind as he heard Jesus speak with incredible authority to rise, pick up your mat, and to walk. This is the Sabbath. It's not permitted to carry 
that which you had on your shoulders because that's considered work. But he did it, and he was healed. For 38 years, he's had a desire and a dream to worship. He's not been allowed in the place of worship because of his disease. And now he's healed. And he's making his way into the place of worship when some religious zealots approach him and said, hey man, don't you know what the world you're doing? You're carrying something on the Sabbath. You are forbidden to work on the Sabbath. And he turns to him and said, I don't, I, I'm sorry, but there was this guy who came to me and asked me if I wanted to be healed. And he said, rise, pick up your mallet and walk. And I did. I was healed and, and I'm, I'm coming to worship. He said it with such authority that, that I obeyed him and now I'm healed and I want to come to worship. And he said, well, who is he? The guy didn't know who it was. He didn't know that it was Jesus. But see, Christ has been working all along this time in order to bring about this man's salvation. And he purposed intentionally for this to happen so that later on he could seek out this man, this individual, talk to him, and he would come to know Christ on a personal and intimate way. Upon that encounter with Christ, he went back to the religious elite and told Christ exactly, told them exactly what Christ had done for them. They're upset by it. And so they come to Christ and they question him. They question him based upon telling this man to carry his mallet or his, his, his bed on the Sabbath. What are you thinking, Jesus? Now, notice Jesus' response to them. He answers them with this, this, this remark, my father. He's indicating to them that he is the son of God, that he is intimately connected with God the Father. And he says, my father is working until now. That word work is a word that simply means that he is exercising or exerting himself for a specific and a particular purpose. God doesn't care if it's Sunday or not. God works on Sunday, and I'm glad for that, aren't you? And so God works every day, seven days a week. He is at work, and he is saying, my father is at work, and he is working. Notice the passage. He says, now. God has not just worked in the past. During the 38 years that this man was sitting at the pool of Bethesda waiting to be healed, God was at work. You might say 38 years, that's a long time to wait on God. And yet God was not inactive in this man's life. He was actively working in this man's life to bring him 38 years later to the place of his healing. And the father is at work then and he worked then in his healing and brought about the cure that he needed, the miracle that he needed. And he rose and he picked up his bed and he walked. He walked to the place of worship, and now God is continuing to work in this man's life, even though he had a difficult encounter with the religious elite. He is working up until now. You may be waiting on God for a long time, and you may have somewhere along the way lost the still small voice of God, an understanding or an awareness or sensitivity to the Spirit of God, and wondering, God, have you abandoned me? God, have you forsaken me? God, have you forgotten about me? And yet he hasn't. For 38 years, he was still working in this man's life. And Jesus said, my father is working until now. But notice he said, I too am working. You know, I could spend a 30-minute study on just that one phrase, I too am working or I am working, in that we who are follow, following Christ should be at work. And if somewhere along the line, if somewhere along the way, somewhere along your pilgrimage, you've taken a seat because you think you've worked long enough and it's time for you to sort of sit back, relax, and enjoy someone else working because of your age, shame on you. Shame on us. He, Christ, is at work with the Father, joining him in what he is doing, and so we must also work as he worked. But the point that I want to make is this. These religious elite. We're not concerned about the miracle that this man received. 
They didn't care. They weren't focused on God's activity. Jesus is pointing to God's activity, but they were not concerned about that. All they cared about was the fact that he had violated the rules of the Sabbath in carrying his bed or his mallet on the Sabbath, and he was in the place of worship. How dare him do that? They had lost their focus on God's activity. And I'm convinced if you and I are not careful, we will lose our focus on the activity that God is doing in us, through us, and around us. Because God doesn't rest. He doesn't take a vacation. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. God is always, constantly, continually at work in your life in the past to bring you where you are today in the present and he is working in your life and he will continue to work in the past god is not an absentee landlord he is in the process of working and it's us i think sometimes who put our focus on the trivial on the human on the mundane and we fail to see that god is in fact at work I'll be honest with you, there are times when, when God is at work that I don't like what he's doing. This has been hard for me. I've been in, almost in mourning for about six weeks. Uh, my spirit has been grieving. I've been grieving because I don't want to go anywhere. I don't, I, I'm not running from anything. I'm not running for anything. But I had to sit back and, and step back and look outside of my own emotions and say, Lord, what are you doing here? Is this your activity? I didn't initiate this. I'm hoping that God did. I believe that he did. And because it is something that I believe that is God's activity, then how can you or I or me respond any differently than what, to what God is doing? Anything other than that would be disobedience. And so we must then join God as we focus on God's activity. Number two is the, is the A, I must also avoid personal agendas. Notice in the text in verse 18, it's in, interesting that John helps us understand the personal agendas of the men who were questioning Christ. This was, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. What's their motivation? They're, they're motivated to kill Christ. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They have no concern, as I said, for this man. All they care about is persecuting Jesus for the desire to kill him. These religious elite have a personal agenda. They have a personal agenda. And the reason why I think some of us are not joining the activity of God is because we ourselves sometimes want to sit in the steering wheel, grab that steering, sit in the driver's seat, grab the steering wheel, and drive the bus where we want it to go. We have a personal agenda that we want to accomplish and we want to achieve. These men had a personal agenda. All they wanted to do is to find dirt on Christ, facts or evidence against him, so they could use against him in a court of law in order to kill him. There's a personal agenda here. And I, I beg to differ with you with the reality is you cannot join God in his activity if you come to the table with a personal agenda. Ten and a half years ago, I came here and there was a lot of personal agendas. And if we're not careful as a church, as a people, as individuals, we might... In our carnality and in our humanity, say, Lord, I've got a personal agenda. I'll be honest with you, I had a personal agenda here in considering all this. I have a great life. I do. It's a great life. My favorite film is It's a Wonderful Life. Now, I'm not saying I get everything I want and everything goes my way. I have a great life. I live in a nice house that you have provided, that God has provided through you. You compensate me more than I deserve. Uh, I have a nice Ford pickup truck, for those of you who are jealous and wish you were driving the Ford instead of the other trucks. 
I have a large office that, doc, uh, that John Click built that I inherited it's, uh, with his own bathroom. I mean, it, you know, I don't know if you know anything about denominational life, but they don't have these things. <laughs> they just don't. And uh, uh, my wife is happy. She teaches a great life group class, and, and we, love, we love you people. And, and, and it would be easy for me to say, you know, I have a personal agenda here. I don't want to go anywhere. I, I, and I don't. I don't have a desire to go anywhere. Um, uh, there's no pressure. There's no one pressing. Me. And man, if I was going to give in to pressure, I would have given in to pressure six years ago. Okay? You think pressure. Six, seven years ago, this place was not a happy place. There was pressure, and there was threats, and there was evidence and all this stuff that people were bringing against me. And I stood against that, and I told them we already voted once. I kind of looked at you. I said, we're not voting again. It's like marriage. You're stuck. Love me. You don't have to like me, but you got to love me. And, 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 and so we, we, we come to the place where I think we have to be careful with personal agendas, and, and, and if we're not careful, we will come to the table of the Lord Jesus Christ with, a, with, a, with an agenda. So, Lord, I want what I want rather than, Lord, what is it that you want in my church, in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my work, with what you've entrusted to me. And if I'm going to live by faith, and if we're going to live by faith, we must avoid personal agendas. Number three, we must insist on complete dependency. This, this, this dependency thing is incredible, and Jesus understood it. This is what blows my mind. Jesus is the Son of God, born of a virgin, supernaturally birthed into Mary's womb, fully God, but fully man. Not human like us, not carnal like us, not a sinner like us. God, the Son of God, in the flesh. And yet he put his dependence upon God the Father, not himself. He had every right, equally and equal with God, to say, you know what? I can do what I want to do and go where I want to go and say what I want to say and heal who I want to heal. But he didn't do that. He looked to the Father for leadership and guidance. Notice the text, verse 19. So Jesus also said to them, he wasn't finished. He then says to them, he's speaking to their concern, and he's trying to help steer them and get them away from their, their, their bad thoughts. Truly, truly, I say to you, he declares with incredible authority. And when Jesus speaks, we should not only take note and listen, but we should seek to live what he is instructing us to do. The Son of Man can do nothing on his own accord. The Son of Man, God in the flesh, can do nothing. That word nothing means exactly what it means. Nothing. Nada. Not one, not even breathe without God. The Son of Man cannot even breathe without the Father. He would never take a step in a direction unless he was led by the Father. He would never lay his hands to heal someone without directions from the Father. He can do nothing apart from the Father. And if he can't do anything apart from the Father, then where do we get our cockiness? I know where we get it. From our humanity, from our flesh. 
Because we, like my grandchildren sometimes said, I, I do it myself. We think we can do it ourselves. And it's only when we get in a jam that somehow we think that we can't get ourselves out that we run to God. The reality is you cannot breathe the breath you're breathing right now without God. You will not be able to leave this place and get in your car and go home without God. You will not be able to accomplish and achieve what God purposes to do in your life without him. We cannot abandon him. We cannot move without him. We cannot go in any direction or do anything unless he sanctions it and unless he is already in the process of doing it. Notice it, but only what he sees the father doing. You see, Christ lived this way. As he was making his pilgrimage day by day through the streets of Jerusalem and through Israel, calling out people unto salvation to place their faith and trust in him, he would then see God at work. And as he saw God at work, he would simply join God in what God was already doing. God was already doing it. God was at work in the past, the present, and the future in this man's life at the pool of Bethesda. And he is saying, what I have done, I simply have done because God was already at work there. And I simply joined God in what God was doing. I've already told you that I didn't initiate this. I didn't ask for this. I didn't know who Nathan Lorick was. He called and said, I got your cell number from your eldest son. I hope you don't mind. And I said, no. A pastor had recommended him to me. And it's based upon that conversation that he had with my son. Uh, I'll tell you what, what my son said. He said, tell me about your dad. And he said, well, my dad seems to always go to troubled churches. That's what he said. And he stays there long enough to see them get to health. And then God moves him to another troubled church, and he stays there. You want to know why I've been in a church seven years, and that's been my longest church? Because some have taken seven years to help, and some have taken ten and a half years to help. I'll wait a minute for you to kind of put the math together. Uh, we are healthy. We are healthy, Robert. You know why? I wouldn't have stood before you last Sunday and asked you to pray for me before I went somewhere else. You didn't, you know, after 27 years with Dr. Click, we brought another pastor in that didn't go so well. How can 10 and a half years later, or 11 and a half years later, can I stand before you as my church family? And I know you love me and I love you and ask you to pray for us because I trust you. I believe that pastors, if you can't trust your people that you serve with, the people you serve with, you should go somewhere else. Now, there are times when I haven't trusted individuals, but you know where I get the strength to stand in spite of individual opposition? Because I know the majority of the church you can trust and I have told pastor this, all the majority of the church is waiting to do is for one man to step up and do what is right, and the rest of the people will follow in spite of the individuals. And you have done that. We are a healthy church. And so I, I, I'm just going to have to understand that, that, uh, that God is leading us into this, which leads us to the next point is to trust God's leading, even though it's hard. Even though at 62, you're being asked to reinvent yourself. Um, it says, but only what he sees the father doing. Notice the father is at work and he sees what the father is doing. For whatever the father does, whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. The son is simply stepping, keeping in step with the spirit. He is doing whatever the father asks him to do. That whatever is a difficult word for me. And I know it's for you as well. 
because we don't like the whatever. We like to define, we like to identify, we like to calculate, we like to strategize, we like to maneuver, we want to come to the table with, with this, this is what we want you to do, God, and then you must do what we ask you to do, and we're praying, God, God, do what we ask. Rather than said, God, fill in the whatever. And as you fill in the whatever, we will do whatever, wherever, whenever you lead. And the, the, the fact of the matter is, it's a lack of trust. We just are not confident enough to believe God enough that he will do whatever he wants to do. And that whatever leads us into not only the path of righteousness, but it leads us down a place of joy, as I said to our pastors this morning in Psalms 23. To trust God specifically. I'll be quite honest with you, 62 it's hard to change vocations, if you want to call it one, or callings. It is. Uh, Patty and I were talking about that coming down here today. I met a guy when I was standing at the airport waiting for our bags yesterday afternoon. And he looked at me and looked at him, and he looked at me and looked at me and said, I know you. I said, I think your face is familiar too. He said, but I can't place it. And I said, um, I can't place yours either. And then he finally dawned on him. I said, I'm a, he said, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm Pastor Emmanuel. And that's always a flag I don't like to say. It's like, oh, I know about Emmanuel. You know, I mean, it, the, the reputation is still here 11 years ago. Um, long story short, he says, yeah. And then he said, I, I saw you at, at Ruby Lawyer's funeral. You did her funeral. I said, that's right. And Pat and I were talking about that coming down here. You know what I'm going to miss about pastoring? The Ruby Lawyer's. The people because where I'm going there are no people <laughs> there are no there's no church family um, there won't be any funerals there won't be any weddings there won't be any opportunities to have lunch with and watch people come to faith in Christ like Greg and watch them grow like Mike and see them now after they That's what pastors deal with. Now, granted, not all pastors leave for the right reasons and leave with the right heart. But this one is. And so we're just going to have to trust that he's doing the right thing. Number last, harbor openness. I have a problem with this, and I'm sure you are too, which is the reason why we sometimes often don't join God. It says, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Great affection between the Father and the Son. I think one of the main reasons why we fail to see God at work is because our heart is in the wrong place. Our affections are in the wrong place. We love things and sometimes even we love the church more than we love God. But when your intimate love relationship with the Father is right and his relationship with you is right, he will show you not only himself, but he will show you what he is doing. And notice what he is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you will marvel. There's a sense of expectation and, and anticipation. And someone might say, well, the pastor's finally gone and now we can grow our church. I hope so. I do. Because if I'm not here 
You know, I told you when I came, I wouldn't stay a minute longer or leave a minute sooner than what God wanted me here. And I still haven't seen my, my dream and my vision of what God, God's going to fill this place someday. But it's never been my dream nor my desire to pastor a mega church. Heard a lot about that when I came 10 and a half years ago. I don't give a flip about that. That's not what God's about is growing a mega church. He's about reaching lost lives for Christ. I don't believe this auditorium is an accident. I don't believe that almost a million, almost, we're almost at a million less. The goal is not to pay off the debt, by the way. Let me say that one last time <laughs> before I leave. Why are you laughing, Roseanne? That's what I thought. I just thought I'd identify that laugh. It's not to pay off the building. This auditorium is not an accident. These chairs are covered in these corners over here only temporarily for a reason. Because I'm convinced that the greater work that God wants to do here is yet to come. I honestly feel sometimes like Moses. I led you through the wilderness. Now we're at the gates of the promised land. And I'm not going to get to enjoy the ride. I've done that too many times. You have five incredible pastors. You have a great church staff. You have some amazing deacons. There are some beautiful people in this church that I love with all my heart. And if you're visiting with us today and you're wondering, what the heck is going on here? This is a great place to call home. And I would encourage you to make this place your home. They're not perfect people. They had a perfect pastor, but now he's gone. (laughs) I expect great things. I anticipate great things. And I think God will show you his future in the years to come. And one of these days when I'm old and somebody will have to help me up, I hope to stand up here and at least pray over this church that's packed with people who are here because God brought them here. He added to his church. And this is the best place in town to worship, in my personal opinion. God is present in the past. He's presently working today. And he will continue to work through you in the future. It's an interesting story that I've used before, but I like it so much I'm going to use it again. Derek Redman, a British runner who participated in the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona. Barely into the 400-meter race, he pulled a hamstring and fell to the ground. Everyone thought he was finished, but much to the surprise of the spectators, the courageous athlete slowly stood and began to hobble around the track. However, However, even with such tenacity, it was apparent that there was simply no way he could finish the race. Just as he was about to fall again, a man came out of the stands, put his arm around the injured runner, and assisted him all the way across the finish line. The stadium roared with approval as Derek Redmond completed his race. The scene was even more moving, made even more significant by the realization that the one who came alongside Derek was his own father. Together, linked arm in arm, father and son crossed the finish line as one. The father is here. He's been here in the past. He's presently here today, and he will be here in the future. I encourage you to link arms with him because only he is your sufficiency and only he can help you reach the finish line. So as we close, are you living by faith? What must you do to live by faith? And what is your next step? Let's pray. One of the greatest privileges of my life is the the privilege of baptizing my son, Blake.
About three years ago, I had the privilege of baptizing his older brother, Tyler. And so today, uh, Blake has the opportunity to come before you as a testimony of what God has done in his life and how he's been changed by God. If you know Blake, if he's a friend of yours, you've taught him in class or you're, uh, you've been around him very much, if you would stand in honor of him and support of this uh, decision that he has made today. So Blake, I'm going to ask you, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you know him in a personal way? Yes. All right. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you, my son and now my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In your house. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised in newness of life. <laughs> 